Welcome to the Teachers Matter podcast, where we share stories, strategies, and wisdom to inspire your teaching and enhance your life. We'll go beyond the theory by sharing tips, tools, and actions that will help you to create a positive difference in your life at home and school. With your hosts, Karen Tui Boys and Megan Gallagher. Hello, welcome back to season two. We are so excited. We've got more tips, tricks, ideas, techniques, strategies to share with you. I'm Karen Tui Boys, and I am a champion for lifelong learning. Kelda and I'm Megan Gallagher. I'm a teacher, a coach, and a writer, and I'm passionate about teacher well-being and helping you to meet the best that you can be in your classroom and at home. So, yeah. what are we talking about today, Karen? Well, what should we talk about? Let's talk about differentiation. This topic is huge right now, and I'm not quite sure why. I just think people are suddenly realizing that actually we need to be doing something different in the classroom. Yeah, I think it's also we've we've come to realize like the needs of our students are so diverse and we now understand that we actually can't do the same thing for everybody and expect it to work. Mm. So I think I think we've come we've we've come to a really great place where we now realize that actually addressing what the individuals need is going to work for everybody and everybody's going to do better if we do. Yes. Sort of like what we say, what's good for dyslexics is good for everybody. What's good for ADHD is good for everybody. Differentiation, again, is good for everybody. And so if we would have encompass what differentiation means, it means that you are catering for individual needs, that you are catering to the students in your class, not the students you wish you were in your class. I think that's a a wonderful distinction I got recently during an interview I was giving where the teacher said we have to take children from where they're at, not where we wish they'd been when we got them. Absolutely. And, and I know that for, for us in the COVID times, what we may have been able to come to expect is quite different as well. Yes, absolutely. And so taking the children from where they're at and that they're all not going to be at the same place. So differentiate, there tend to be four or even five different areas that we differentiate in the classroom. And they include our content. So how do we differentiate what we're actually teaching? How do we differentiate the process? So how we are actually teaching that. What about the product? So what students actually produce? The environment, how do we really look at the environment and say, how do we make sure that is differentiated or different for different students and catering for their their needs? And then finally, possibly the way we assess, which might sort of dovetail into a couple of those others. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so should we dive in? Yeah, I'd love to dive in and hear more about this. <laughs> well, let's talk about content then. How do we differentiate content? Because, of course, you can have students, no matter what year level you are teaching, you can have students who are three, four, five years plus or minus their chronological age. And I love what his name is. People who know me know that proper nouns always get me. <laughs> We just keep so it real, tricky. Keep it real on our podcast. Uh, Eric Jensen, one of the top and original brain researchers around accelerating learning, talks about that at any age and stage, students can be three or even four years plus or minus their chronological age normally. 
Mm. But when they learn to walk, some of them learn at six months. It's a bit scary. And then some of them don't learn to walk till they're 18 months, maybe even two years. We don't say there's anything wrong with them. It's just that they come to it when they're ready, when everything's in alignment yeah. to be able to do that. And so I think this is true in our classroom. We've been for a long time in traditional education working towards the average. And we actually need to know that, you know, we've got these extremes on both ends and we need to make sure we are meeting those needs. Yeah, and it takes me back to the work of Oscar Valvin when he talked about the the that Pareto principle, I think it is, the 80-20 rule, that what works for the majority, there will always be outliers that it doesn't work for. And that actually our job as teachers is to be creative around how we meet the needs of everybody. It's quite a challenge. Absolutely. So how do we differentiate this content? Well, there's many different ways you might actually look at this. And it might be by just asking them what do they want to achieve or thinking about what you want to achieve and what each child's capacity is for that. So that having children be part of the process of what they're actually learning. So what do you want to learn in this topic can help ask, you know, ask them what they know and where they want to take it. We might also ask them what would make this the coolest lesson or coolest project ever? Mm-hmm. And I've recently just designed a, progr- a project with, for our students at Spectrum Online Academy, which I've added Patty Drapu's work of gamification. So we've actually turned it into a game and each section complete, they get points, including losing 10 if they are late submitting their work. And that's a little painful because it means they actually have to do more work to catch up. And so what can you do to make this project the best ever? And I had a, a, a history teacher ask her class this, and it was fascinating because what the class said was they were learning about the war and I don't know which war, but a war. And they went, what if we turned our classroom into the trenches? And we actually had a war. And so therefore she was able to take it in a, using drama and using, you know, role playing. She was able to take it in a very different direction to teach the content she wanted to teach. And students were able to take it in their direction as well, which I really love. Yeah, I also think it fits really well with Joe Bowler's work in maths around high ceiling, low floor tasks. And that probably comes into the process as well, as well a little bit. Where what we do is we have have really we talk about them being open ended tasks where you can stretch yourself as far as you are capable of stretching, or as far as you see the stretch. And as teachers, we can push our kids into different directions or offer them opportunities to explore different directions once we see that they've got the basics. Um, and it's it's fantastic. I I love seeing that, particularly in maths. I love seeing that because we start to become playful. Yes. And people are learning from each other in that in that in those sorts of tasks as well. So it doesn't rest on the teacher being the font of all knowledge. Yeah, I think another way to, to differentiate content is to maybe break it up. Where well, there's a tendency, if you go into a classroom and look at the artwork around the walls, it's all the same. 
everyone's done the same piece of artwork. And so there's no differentiation there. And particularly for me, no learning the concepts and then applying the concepts in their own context. So I love the idea of if you're doing the history of a period of time, let's say a hundred year history of New Zealand, then what if you break the groups, you students up into smaller groups and they each do 10 years or 25 years, whatever it is. So they're not all learning the same content, but then they can do presentations or they can have a display and you end up with a display of all that hundred years. And then each other group needs to go and learn from the other groups around what they have learned. So they end up with all the content, but I remember watching my daughter in her class once. They all did exactly the same topic and then they all did a three-minute presentation on the same topic. Talk about boring. Talk about (laughs) It's like, do we have to listen to this 23 different times? And so how can you break up your content? It might be if you're doing a book study, do they all have to be studying the same book or can they be looking at different books? So or just or exploring different characters or exploring different themes within the within the book. This don't get me on box. There's so many things you could unpack. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, what about the process? How might you, Meg, when you're differentiating in your classroom, what do you do to make the process different for others? Well, I think the first thing is around us knowing our learners and our learners knowing themselves mm-hmm. and knowing what their preferences are. I often at the start of the year will do a really simple task with my class. It's a little bit of a getting to know you thing and it ties in a bit of statistics. So we actually organize ourselves into human bar graphs or bar graphs. And we look at our, whether we prefer to learn on our own, learn with others or learn as a group. We look at whether we prefer to learn in silence with some talking to people or with music in the background. So we do lots of things around our learning preferences, what makes us feel happier. as a, And it, I do that for two reasons. One, because it gives me a really good idea of what my students need to be happy in their learning. And two, it gives them a chance to see what each other needs. So then we can create a learning environment it's, it's the beginning of having empathy for how other people learn so we can create this safe learning environment. And then it's about tools that they like to use. And I think as teachers, we need to teach them the different tools so that then they can choose. You know, if, if all you've got is a hammer, then every problem looks like a nail. So if you only, if you only know how to use a Venn diagram to organize your thinking, then that's what you're going to do with everything. And that's, it's going to be successful sometimes, but not for others. So we need to actually then, so that they can make choices, we need to give them the ability to make choices by giving them the resources and the tools and the opportunities to explore. What do you think about, oh, sorry, Karen. Also the point that sometimes our children also change. They might like silence today, but they want noise tomorrow. So making sure that they are aware that it's okay to change. It might, you might change because it's a different topic or this one, you know, lots about. And then also I like the idea of the ICT, the independent, the collaborative and the teacher group. And so you might start everybody in the teacher group. And when they confident to do what you need them to be able to do, they can go off and work collaboratively. When you can see that they can do it collaboratively, then you move them to the independent group. And so it's a great way of getting rid of, not rid of, I didn't mean that in that way, getting, 
getting the students who are more capable out of that teacher group so you've got more quality teacher group time. That doesn't mean to say that you're not going to work with those more capable students who are ready for their independence and that activity. You're going to keep extending them in different ways. However, it means that the ones who really do need the teacher can be in that teacher group. Absolutely. And it, and it means that, like I use it a lot for writing, for reading, for maths, all, all the curriculum areas, because it's just so powerful, because it gives them the choice. And I find that actually in the collaborative times, the kids that, or the students that have got it enough will sometimes collaborate with somebody who's really got a good handle on it. And then they coach each other in a way that I haven't been able to coach. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still working with, with a core of people who really need some one-to-one or some small group teacher support. And other children are learning from each other again. And that's that's another new way for them or a different way for them to access the information that they need to. And how powerful is that peer-to-peer learning? It's just mm. It's just wonderful. The third part is this differentiating the product and so that not everybody needs to create a poster or not everybody needs to create a one act play or whatever it is. But if you're listening, please go to just Google 101 ways to show you know, and you will find heaps of the same image keep coming up, which actually is, I love it. It's it's a wonderful little image that has as it suggests, 101 ways for students to be able to choose. And so choice is really important in this differentiation. So you might give three choices. You might say you can draw a poster, you might do a one-act play, or you might write a, an article on this or something. And so you can give them three choices. You're always going to have the, the child that says, can I do such and such? <laughs> you have to make a decision at that point. But my rule of thumb is if they did a poster last time, they can't do a poster next time because, or this time, because some of them just end up doing the things that they're good at or the things that are easy. And if they're doing a poster, I think the the key here is that you give them the parameters around what does a great poster look like? Because Mm -hmm. again, in my own son's education journey, I watched him make poster after poster after poster. And after years of posters, they were still crap. So no one had ever said, look, a poster has really clear headline. It has a, a board around it, perhaps. It has multiple colors or whatever it is but give them the parameters around what a good poster looks like or get them to explore that as well. Yeah, and that criteria I think is really powerful for, for when we're talking about product. If we, you know, this is where rubrics come in and can be extremely helpful. If I know what the product is or what, what the, sorry, what the expectations are, I know what I'm learning, I know what I need to show, then I'm far, far better able then to work towards that regardless of what form I use. And then that also means if you understand what the rubric says that you need to be able to show, then you can actually maybe go to the teacher and say, I would like to show my learning this way because I can see it fits with the rubric that way and I'll be able to show you this, this and this. And it also means that for those students, you know, I'm thinking about students who really struggle with writing, for example, for too long, I think those students have have been in a space where they've felt that they're not capable and and we haven't been able to find out what they do know because a lot of our assessments have been write an essay or tell us in in a short paragraph what you know about X, Y and Z. And so giving them the option to choose actually gives us 
as teachers much better information on what they actually do know. And, I th and, and it gives them the chance to be able to show what they know so that then they can make the progress and be seen, to be seen by yeah. us better. Well, I, Gosh, think I don't know if that makes sense. Well, that makes sense. I think it's also when you're using rubrics, it, there's another way to differentiate through this. You might say to a student, there are 10 different things I'm going to be assessing on, but you choose three that you want to focus on. And so this is, again, going back to what you said earlier, Meg, about students understanding their learning and knowing their next steps in their learning as well. So they need to understand them as a learner. Yeah. So you might say, choose three or four that you want me to evaluate, and I'm going to choose three or four that I'm going to evaluate on. So you don't have to evaluate on all 10 if there are criteria. Yeah. So I've got one student at the moment who is learning to write sentences. I've got another student who is learning to put paragraphs together. And then I've got a third student who's deep into character development. And I've challenged him to how do you have a character in a story to change his point of view and so start as one person but what happens during something to help people change their point of view now that's high much higher level than just writing as simple but they are both working hard at that because it's it's where their challenge level is at so they can start getting good at that and sharing what they want to be able to learn through through your rubric and I also love having them to self-assess in the rubric so Absolutely. that they to go in and say, hey, this is where I think I'm at and here's my justification. I love the work that Jay McTighe does over with performance tasks. Mm. And that would be another great thing to go and look up if you're really interested. He's got a wealth of resource on his website that helps us to frame up rubrics that are broad and are deep enough to allow that differentiation. Yeah. 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 So the final part is this idea of the um, environment. How do we differentiate the environment? And maybe that's having resources where students can go and help themselves and have them, as our friend Seth Perler says, clearly labelled. So they're not always <laughs> coming to you and they want the sticky notes and you say, I wonder where the sticky notes would be. And there's a big sign that says sticky notes here. So that they're not always coming to you as that first responder, as the teacher, mm -hmm. but they can take that independence in that environment and find, find what they're looking for to be able to be more independent as the learner you might allow them to yeah work on the floor work at a desk work outside and that they have that preference of where they work which you talked about a little earlier so that's also important yeah because the environment is the third teacher mm. and so how we set up the environment says what we value in our classrooms and says how we value student learning so if you walk into a classroom and you see that there are a variety of places that people could work that, that then gives a message to the students that this is a place where they are valued as individuals and they have options and choice. So I think that's a really powerful thing that we can do, a powerful message we can send to our children. I'd love to share this visual image with you. I was uh, lucky enough a few years ago to go three times to work in Brazil at one of the most prestigious uh, schools in Brazil. And the school hall was just blew my mind. Every chair in the school hall is completely different. 
Now, think about every other school hall you go into, and it's all same, same, same. And these chairs, there were big chairs, there were arm chairs, there were pink, yellow, green, there were varying different fabrics, and each chair was as unique as the students who sit in them. And it was a wonderful message to the uh, students, an unconscious message that you are all individuals. We don't, we don't want same, same, same in our school. And so I've never forgotten that visual image and watching the teaching assistants spending hours making sure those chairs were straight. Uh, <laughs> hours. Hilarious. But um, I think I think that was for me just so eye-opening and seeing that, you know, you don't have to do it the way everyone else has always done it. And I just loved that. So I think to finish up on this one, I think probably one of the best places to start is to ask your learners, mm. ask them. In fact, here's what I suggest. Get two different colored post-it notes, maybe a yellow one and a blue one. Give everyone one of each. And on the yellow post-it note, ask students to write down something that you as a teacher do really, really well. On the blue note, one thing on that post-it note per student of what they would like you to do better. Now, this is vulnerable, this is scary, this is hard, but they will tell you exactly what you're doing well in your classroom and they will tell you how you can differentiate and how you can do different things and better in your classroom. So it is a vulnerable place to be, but I think asking your learners is going to be a key point of this. Absolutely. And look, if we do that, what are we modelling to our students? We're showing them that it's actually okay to be vulnerable, that it's okay to ask for feedback, and that we can then make change and do better or do different based on that feedback. That's incredibly powerful. Yep. And then we end up with self-directed learners who, in your words, mean ready to stretch and grow. Yes. Yay. so look we look forward to seeing you on our next episode and until then be the best you can be and take care and remember that what you do matters and that's why we're here for you thank you so much thank you for listening to the teachers matter podcast we're eager to transform the lives of even more teachers and educators so please remember to like and review the show wherever you listen to this podcast it really helps And if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to have more resources and information, head on over and join us at spectrumeducation.com.